church. Good to be here, Pastor Paul. We are into Matthew 17 this morning on our 30-day journey through the book of Matthew. We're walking through this gospel because Peter plays a prominent role in this gospel. And as we're studying his first letter on Sunday mornings, it seemed like a good idea to bring these things together. And as we're going to see, as we have seen, uh, Peter in, in Matthew 16, there's a, there's a huge spotlight on his confession and then that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's Jesus' rebuke of Peter because Peter uh, doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross and thinks suffering Messiah is this the scandal, it's outrageous. And then we transition now into Matthew 17 where again, Peter plays a prominent role. So before we jump in, let's pray a little bit. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would go before us as we study uh, one of the most amazing passages in all of scripture. And so it's here that Matthew takes, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, kind of the inner three up onto the mountain with him. A lot of debates about which mountain this is or was somewhere in the northern part of Israel in the area of Galilee. And it says they were by themselves and that Jesus was transfigured. Now the word literally means to transpose or to transform. And it describes his face becoming like the sun and his garment shining. And so clearly what we're getting a vision here, what Matthew wants us to understand, drawing upon all the Old Testament background here, is that this indeed is the Shekinah glory. This is the glory of Yahweh, which shone forth from the temple, from the cloud, from the Holy of Holies, um, from Moses' face when Moses went to, to meet face-to-face -face with God, um, we are getting the clearest picture we get during Jesus' earthly ministry of his true nature, power, and authority. The only other time we see Jesus this vividly in his glory is, of course, in his post-resurrection, particularly in the visions and revelation from the Apostle John. Now, I think what Matthew is, is doing here, remember we've talked about this idea that Jesus is going to be the new Moses, the more faithful Moses, the obedient Moses through his teaching, through his escape from Egypt, um, from his wandering out in the wilderness for 40 days. Well, now this clearly harkens back to Deuteronomy where Moses, what does Moses do? He goes up and he meets God face to face and he, kind of, I mean, he says, God, show me your glory. What does God do? Tucks him in the crook of the rock and says, I'll show you my backside. <laughs> Moses, that's all you can handle. But here we are getting an unvarnished, undeterred glimpse at the pure glory of Jesus Christ as the incarnate son of God, Yahweh himself. And so once again, we're taken back to this idea that this is now the new and better Moses. Moses could only see God's glory shielded but Jesus is being beheld in all his glory, okay, face to face before the Father. So as this is happening, it says that, in, look at verse 3, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, one of the things that, that's interesting about this, we have to ask, how did they know that this was Moses? How did they know that this was Elijah? Because after all, they had never seen Moses and Elijah. They had never seen photographs or what have you. Well, clearly, the nature of their conversation led them to, to understand quickly who these historical figures were. Now, 
There's been much debate about what they were talking about, what was happening here. But I think the, the best way to understand this is to understand it in connection with Jesus's promise that as Messiah, he was not coming to rule and reign as a king to make everything right on the earth. He was coming to solve man's most fundamental problem, the problem of his heart. He was there first to establish a spiritual kingdom, and this meant that he, must, he had to die. Um, and if we think about Moses and Elijah, what's interesting about both of their ministries is that they both end their earthly ministries with what we consider to be um, a great failure or great disappointment. Right, so, so Moses, what did he dream of? He dreamed of going to the promised land. He, he dreamed of the land flowing with milk and honey. He dreamed of worshiping God in the, in the promised land, in the Holy of Holies. But yet, Moses never got to the promised land. All he got was a glimpse. God took him up on the mountain, showed him the promised land, and then he died. And so in a lot of ways, Moses died in a sense mourning or lamenting the things that he did not get to see, that he did not get to experience. And maybe, we don't even know, but not fully understanding why things were happening the way they were. The same thing with Elijah. Remember that the height of Elijah, Elijah's ministry was him calling down fire from heaven and consuming the sacrifice in the, in the, um, in the face-off against the, 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 against the gods of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, you know, got a bail. And so, um, and so this happened and, and Elijah had the full expectation this was going to usher in a season, a renewal of the kingdom and revival in Israel. But as we know, that's not the way it happened. Um, they were still wanting to kill him. They were still after his life. And again, Elijah died um, not seeing all of his dreams and promises fulfilled. And so we can imagine they're up here on the mountain, and clearly Jesus is, is talking with them, and I believe um, giving them a forecast of what is about to happen. That just as he told the disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and die, he's now showing Peter, I'm sorry, showing Elijah and Moses where their lives were headed, what it was all about, what was happening, and you're going to have to pardon the noise over here, um, but we're going to make it through. Um, he was showing them that that all that all of their dreams and hopes were indeed being fulfilled, but it had to happen through the death of Jesus first. Again, it does no good for the king to come and establish his kingdom if he has not made a way for people to be a part of his kingdom to purchase their redemption. And so this meant that Jesus had to die before he could establish an earthly kingdom. He had to conquer man's main spiritual problem in the heart. And so you can get the sense that Moses and Elijah are finally understanding they're coming to this realization. This is the way it has to be. And of course, this is all being done with Peter and um, James and John witnessing what's happening. Now, Peter um, here, look at verse four. He says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, what is going on there? It seems that, that Peter is overcome, overwhelmed with this vision as well, and that it is so glorious, it is so awesome, it is so mighty, he doesn't want it to end. And so he suggests, let's erect three tents or tabernacles, it can be translated either way, up here on this mountain. In other words, 
Let's capture the glory. Let's, 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 let's stay right here. Jesus, let's establish your throne in your reign now. But what we realize is that Jesus can't stay on the mountain. Jesus has to go off the mountain. Why? Because he has to die. Um, that's, the whole, that's the whole point of where this, this encounter is directing. In fact, if you look at verse 5, and we see this idea of the cloud overshadowing them again. This is a, a vision of Mount Sinai, harkens back to the Old Testament. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Meaning, I think, men, remember what my son just told you six days prior. He has to go to Jerusalem and to die. He, in other words, he can't stay on this mountain. You have to follow him. If you want to be exalted, you have to be humbled. If you want to be lifted up, you have to go low. If you want to live, you have to die. We see all of those paradoxes of the Christian faith really in play here. Now, what's just amazing about this is just the pastoral touch that happens here in verse 6. It says, when the disciples heard this, okay, uh, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And that's what you and I would do if Jesus showed up here we would be undone, we would be on our faces. But Jesus came, touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And again, this is extraordinary because remember in the Old Testament, no one saw God, no one could behold his glory. Um, they couldn't even touch the Ark of the Covenant. But here Jesus has given them a picture of his unvarnished glory and they have lived. They have, they have survived, and they are been graced with the mercy and blessing of, of God himself. And he says, don't fear. And he places their hand upon them, and he comforts them. Now, what a picture of the gospel. Again, what a picture of grace. Now, look at verse 9. It says, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Why did he ask them not to tell anybody? Well, again, um, Jesus had come to die, not to reign physically. And if this word had gotten out that, in fact, that he was going to, that he had appeared in Shekinah glory, I mean, people would, again, would have come to make him king. There would have been, it would have ignited this messianic fervor, um, just as happened when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, the reason... Um, Jesus did that ministry publicly is that it in effect led to his death his crucifixion remember all the people were yelling and this only in, and cheering and Hosanna and this only incited the um, the anger and the and the murderous hearts of the religious leaders but here it's not yet Jesus's time so he tells them hold tight to this fellows until I rise from the grave then you can tell everyone and Again, he's reminding them, he goes on to remind them that this is the way it has to be for there to be true eternal life. Now, this, this chapter, this uh, appearance, this vision, this incident in Peter's life was left such an indelible mark. He goes on to recount it in some detail in Second Peter in his letter. And you might want to check that out later today um, where he reflects upon this or he reflects upon that time interesting of all the different times that Peter could have reflected on to recount personally to his readers he chose 
this one. Think about that. That's that, that's very interesting. And, and why is that? Probably because this is the one, the vision, where he saw Jesus most clearly. It's the one where um, Jesus' Shekinah glory shone um, the brightest, the loudest. It proclaimed the... The, the, the most important word ever that Jesus in fact is the Christ the son of the living God and of course Matthew is pressing us in to say who do we say Jesus is he can't be just a good teacher he can't just be a good prophet he can't be just a good moral example if he is who he says he is then our right and proper response is to bow down and worship and that's what we want to do let me pray for us and then we'll be back here tomorrow, same time, same station for Matthew 18. Lord, we pray that you would give us a glimpse of your glory today. And Father, the fact that we can look upon your glory and not die is an amazing thing. It's an amazing grace. It's only possible because of the death of Jesus Christ for us. So Lord, let us walk in awe of you today. Let us walk in fear and reverent holiness, Lord, and to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.